I hear the murmurs. I hear them all the way from the venue. From the K-Hall service over there. I hear them from the online as well. Pastor Chad's not here. Nope. And we're not doing Revelation either. I see Faith's down here. Did he offer to let you do Revelation before you? No, okay. I wouldn't have, no, I wouldn't have taken that either. Uh, Pastor Chad's away this morning. We are going to take a short break from Revelation. And I would encourage you to uh, open your Bible to Matthew chapter 13. We're going to be talking about God's desire for each of us to be spiritual sowers of seeds. And as you're finding your place there, I also want to share with you about a service opportunity that uh, we are trying to fill. Uh, If you haven't met Pastor Chuck Reeves, he's over here on the front row. Pastor Chuck is one of the newer members of our staff, not the newest, but one of the newer. And part of his responsibility has to do with our first impressions ministry. And he is aggressively trying to beef that up by adding about 200 First Impressions Volunteers. Yes, that's right. 200 First Impressions Volunteers. So if you're looking for a place to serve on Saturday night or Sunday morning and you would like to know more about First Impressions, you can reach out to Pastor Chuck this week or you can text volunteer to 89449 and he will get back in touch with you. He also, just to incent the thing a little bit, there's a luncheon planned for next Sunday morning, right after this service, right after the 11 o'clock service, for, uh, for our First Impressions volunteers. So if you'd like to join them for lunch and get a little orientated as far as what that might look like, I know Chuck would welcome you and would love to have you. Well, haven't you enjoyed our study of Revelation? And hasn't Pastor Chad done an amazing job at perhaps breaking down one of the most difficult sections of our Bible? And, uh, man, it has just been awesome. Um, you know, and I think it should, it should really remind us of a couple things. Most recently, we've been looking at the end times and, and uh, the, you know, how God's wrath is going to be poured out during the Great Tribulation and just how awful that is going to be for those that are left as inhabitants of the earth. And if nothing else, boy, it should make you appreciate your salvation. I mean, you talk about the gift that keeps on giving. That's it. And, uh, man, we should all be grateful for that. But I think the, the, the second part of that is, would you really want anybody to have to go through that? I mean, would you really wish that on anybody? Do you have anybody that you despise so much that you'd want them to have to go through the wrath of God? I don't. In fact, quite the contrary. It's a a motivation for me to want to do as much as I can to keep anybody from having to go through that. And that's really what we're talking about this morning as we look at this parable, parable of the sower. Uh, It's found in Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9. I'm going to invite you to stand if you're able to as we read God's Word just in honor of it. We're going to begin in verse 1, Matthew 13. It says, On the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he sat in a boat, and uh, he, he got in a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, 
some seed fell by the wayside. And the birds came and devoured those seeds. Some seeds fell on stony places where they did not have much earth and they, were immediately, they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched and because they had no root to support them, they withered away. And some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Father, as we open your word this morning, we just pray that you would just teach us and enlighten us, motivate us to be the witnesses that you've called us to be. Help us to truly be people that have a strong desire to live as Jesus lived and to love as Jesus loved and to make a difference by reaching as many people as we possibly can in your name. Father, we just give you this morning, we, we, we worship you for who you are and for what you've done, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> well, as we begin this passage, I think it's only fitting that we begin by talking about the priority, the priority of sowing. Our natural inclination, I think, really with any text, is, you know, we read it, and what do we want to do? We want to jump in and say, okay, what's the most important thing? What's the subject of this? What, what is God trying to say to me? Unfortunately, when we do that, sometimes we skip over some things that seem rather insignificant, but in reality are very significant. And what jumps off the page here are the first four words of, chapter, of verse one, on the same day. Now, if you've been around LBC for any length of time, you know what we believe about Scripture. We believe all of it. We believe it's inerrant. We believe it is all truth without any mixture of error whatsoever. 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that every word of Scripture has value and has purpose. And you know, those four simple words are a perfect illustration of that reality. Too often we read our Bibles and we study our Bibles as a compilation of short stories, of small pictures that stand on their own. But in God's view and in God's plan, he wants us to see all of those pictures and how they fit together. How they create a huge, beautiful mosaic, a huge, beautiful puzzle of who God is and of what God has done. So as we study scripture, we should always be aware, be on the lookout for phrases and details that give us context about what we're reading and about how it fits together with other passages of scripture. Often words like therefore or but will begin a passage and they connect that passage to a previous one and if we'll just take the time to follow those clues, to follow those pathways that God's given us, we'll almost always come out with a better perspective about how all of this fits together into that bigger picture, that bigger mosaic of Christ. That phrase, on the same day, is a signal. A signal that significant things have just taken place. Things that provide insight into the priorities of Jesus' life and of his ministry. Now, every day of Jesus' life was meaningful. Every day of Jesus' life was significant. But just like anyone else, there are certain days that held more significance. 
that were of more value, that made a bigger impact into things. I'm sure as you look back at your own life, there are days that stand out. Days that you'll never forget. Days that change the direction of your life in one way or another. Those days were significant. And the same is true in the life of our Savior. So what do we need to do? Well, we need to look back a little bit. We need to look back into chapter 12 and see what else had gone on on that same day. And if we do that, what we learn is that it began, that day began with a confrontation with the Pharisees about his conduct on the Sabbath. From there, Jesus entered the synagogue where he immediately healed a man's hand knowing that he was breaking all the Sabbath rules and that he would draw the anger even more of those same religious leaders. Then he left the synagogue, now followed by a large crowd, and he made it a point, even though it was still the Sabbath, to heal everyone who was sick and everyone who was afflicted. On that same day, he healed a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute. He healed him physically, and more importantly, he healed him spiritually. On the same day, the Pharisees engaged him again, this time accusing him of healing by the power of darkness rather than by the glory of God. On that same day, Jesus taught about spiritual rebirth. He taught about the unpardonable sin, about how a man can bear spiritual fruit. On that same day, his family came to find him, came wanting to take him home, not because they missed him, but they were afraid somebody was going to kill him. And on that same day, the passage confirms that the Pharisees did plan, did begin a plan to destroy him. And you thought you've had some busy days. This was a day. This was a full day. That day was a critical day because it was the day that Jesus drew a line in the sand and through those interactions we really see that the priority of his ministry became clear. He was determined to constantly demonstrate the, the incredible difference between man's religion and a true, loving relationship with God. So let's talk about that stark contrast between religion and relationship. Clearly, as we look at the Gospels, we see, and, and even into the, all through the New Testament, the Pharisees were men that were steeped in religion, steeped in religious practices. In fact, it became their very identity. Religion thrives on rules. Religion is comfortable with legalism and legalistic behavior. Religion is about power and tradition. It creates guilt, and it's motivated by status and the Pharisees were the poster children for all of those characteristics. Then and now, the fact is, empty religion is always detrimental to the gospel because it deceives people who are actually out looking for God and it blocks them from him through endless rules, repetition, and empty religious practices. It was a problem in Jesus' day and it remains a problem today. I've personally seen just how much damage it can do in places like Romania, Mexico, the Dominican Republic, and so many other places where people are brainwashed by a set of rules and religious activities 
And they're fooled into believing that those traditions and those false practices will somehow satisfy God. But it's just not true, is it? Religion becomes an issue anytime what we do and why we do it takes priority over who we're following and what the truth of Scripture says. Jesus said in John 10.10, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. But if you've ever been entangled in legalism and in religion, you know that it will steal your joy away as fast as anything. Now, it's easy to point a condemning finger at the Pharisees. It's easy to point a condemning finger at certain denominations or religions that we know about. But the truth is, this problem can happen in any church. In fact, some of you are sitting in this church or are watching this church online this morning because the legalism and the religion of some other church literally drove you away. It can happen in any church. It can happen in any family as well. Families can literally get tangled up in knots. The relationships within the family can get all messed up because people are more set on what we do and how we do it rather than who we love. And it can happen with individuals, can't it? We've all got a little Pharisee in us sometimes. We get, all get a little too tied to the wrong things. To what we used to do. To how we used to do it. And it becomes what we should do always. But that's not always the case, is it? Jesus saw religion as self-serving, as controlling, and as bureaucratic. And he was quick to say in word and in deed that religion was contrary to his mission. His priority was always about God's desire to have a personal relationship with you and with me. Genesis 1 tells us that God created man and woman in his own image. Jerry, I got bad news for you this morning. That doesn't mean you look like God. It just doesn't. But I got good news for you this morning as well. God created you and you and all of you differently than he created any other living thing. We're created with a need, with a desire to have a relationship with the very one that created us. You see, the right question has never been, does God really want to have a relationship with me? Rather, it's, are you willing to accept and nurture a loving relationship with God. A, religion, a relationship that can do what religion will never be able to do because it will give you fulfillment. It will give you forgiveness. It will give you healing and it will give you joy and an abundant life. But those things only come through a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew records here that huge crowds were following Jesus, so much so that, that he couldn't even stand on the, on the shore to teach. He had to get in a boat, and the people all stood on the shoreline. It's a multitude of people. But if we study the Scriptures, what we find is Jesus' ministry was never about crowds. It was always about individuals. 
When he called his disciples, how did he call them? Well, he called them personally. In fact, he called them by name. And throughout scripture, he was never too busy. He was never too distracted to see every individual need, even when the crowds were overwhelming. And he wasn't about to let religious rules get in the way of him loving someone, of him serving someone. While religion closes the door on a relationship between God and man, Revelation 3.20 gives us a beautiful picture of how God waits for us to accept that relationship. He stands at the door. He politely knocks on the door. And then like the gentleman he is, he waits for us to open the door and invite him in. Why do we talk about all this? Well, because that was Jesus' priority. And because Jesus' priority has to become our priority. What was important to Christ should be what's important to us. And certainly his priorities are indicative of that. And that brings us back to chapter 13. Where on that same day, Jesus spoke to the crowd, the large crowd, And he spoke about his priority. And he spoke through the parable. I know we have some Sunday school teachers in here, some discipleship teachers in here. Let me tell you, Jesus should be the model for how you teach. Jesus should be the model for how you present God's word because there was nobody that taught like Jesus. He was always ready to teach and he could always find a listen in every situation. He spoke so that his audience could relate, and he spoke in language that they could understand, and he always left them with a challenge, a challenge to do something, a challenge to apply what he was teaching and to act on the message that he was delivering. Just like every teacher, he had a favorite teaching tool, and the Bible tells us it was the parable. Matthew 13, 34 says that on this occasion, everything Jesus taught, he taught through parables. And throughout the Gospels, over 30% of Jesus' spoken words are part of a parable. He loved them because they were effective. A parable is a simple earthly story communicating a spiritual truth. And in chapter 13 of Matthew alone, Jesus used parables to teach about wheat and tares, about a mustard seed, about leaven, a hidden treasure, and a pearl of great value. But before he taught about any of those things, he expounded on his priority, his mission by sharing this parable about sowing spiritual seeds. The parable had several components. He began with the sower. To sow seeds is to cast them, throw them, toss them out in every direction. The the objective is to cover as much ground with seeds as you possibly can. Sowing by hand, certainly in the first century, was a common practice. And in many underdeveloped nations today, it's still a common practice. I pictured Jesus being in the boat there, and as he's teaching, maybe he looked out and saw someone sowing seeds in a field nearby. He pointed to that person as he began to tell the story. This was something that his listeners could not only understand, but that they'd seen many times and that they could relate to. The sower carried a large sack of seeds, often supported around his neck like a sling, and he would simply walk, reach in for a handful of seed, 
and toss it out as he covered the ground. He tossed it in every direction. Now, there may be a professional sower here somewhere that says, oh, no, 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 there's a skill involved. Well, maybe there is, maybe there isn't. But even for a skilled sower, this was not an activity of precision. This is an activity of volume. This is an activity of coverage. The objective is get as much seed on the ground as you possibly can. So first we see the sower. And then Jesus talked next about the seed being sown. It's seed that's good. Seed that's ready to be productive. In fact, Luke's gospel tells us that the seed is the pure seed of God's word. Now, in our world, there's not much that's 100% pure, is there? There's not much that's 100% true, is there? There's not much that's 100% accurate, is there? I filled out a bracket for the NCAA tournament. I got some results this morning. Turns out that only 11.4 million people have a more accurate bracket than me. (laughs) Feeling pretty good about that. I'm sure it's gonna get worse the further down the road we go. Ivory soap used to be advertised as the soap that was 99 and 44, 100% pure. It was the soap that floats. But in today's world, we have the new and improved ivory soap. It's far less pure, and it sinks like a rock. But that's the world we live in, isn't it? There's nothing that's pure. But as believers, the seed that we've been given to sow in the world is proven to be all of those things. It's 100% pure. It's 100% perfect. It's 100% applicable, not just to you, but to every single person, in every single situation, and in every single circumstance. No matter where you look, you can't do better than the perfect word of God. The perfection of God's word crosses every cultural and every social barrier. It's just as powerful in Romania as it is in Raytown. It applies the same in Montreal as it does in Mission. And people need it just as much in Lenexa, Shawnee, Olathe, and Overland Park as they do in Nicaragua, Peru, Costa Rica, Mexico, and Haiti. Lenexa Baptist over the years has grown a significant ministry footprint that reaches people all around the world. But don't ever forget that the same seeds of success are applicable right outside of your door, right across your street, in your neighborhood, in your office, as they are on the other side of the world. You see, the answer to every problem in every culture, today, tomorrow, and forever, are all found in one place. They're right here in God's Word. It's seed that teaches what righteous living is really all about. It's seed that shows what an abundant life is supposed to look like. Hebrews 4.12 says it's the seed that is living, powerful, sharper than the sharpest sword, and able to overcome anything that we might face. Anybody like Jeopardy? TV show Jeopardy? Game show? Anybody like that? 
then this is your book. It's all the, ans- all the answers. All you gotta do is provide the questions because that's what God's word is. It's the seed that forgives. It's the seed that saves. And the seed that so many people, perhaps even some that are sitting in this room today, are searching for because it's the seeds of life. And all we're asked to do is to be faithful. To keep reaching in, keep throwing it out. To keep sowing. Jesus talked about the sower. Jesus talked about the seed. And then Jesus talked about the soil. In simple terms, the soil represents the receptivity of the human heart. Just as some soils are more or less receptive to the seed taking root, so are the hearts of every man and every woman where the seed will be sown. The parable says that some fell on the wayside. It's the soil right beside the roadway. It was hard packed. People had walked and walked and walked on it. You know, if you've ever been on a dirt road that's been a dirt road for a long time, there's been vehicles on it, people have walked on it. Man, it's packed down as hard as asphalt. That's what we're talking about here. As soon as the sower passed by, seed couldn't penetrate. The birds came and ate it as if it was no longer there. If we go to Luke's version of the parable, it says that what the birds didn't eat was just trampled underfoot by a world that was too busy for God. It's a picture of a hard, hard, hard human heart. Hard to the message of God. We often think of the heart of an agnostic or of an atheist, but the truth is people's hearts are hard for a number of reasons. And while I'm confident Jesus was talking about the heart of lost people, Let me tell you, the heart of a believer can become hard to the truth of God's word as well. We can begin to to avoid it in certain areas of our life. We can begin to do things that are contrary to what it says because our heart becomes hard. Some seed fell on this hard soil. Other seed fell on stony soil in verse 5. Soil where the seed had barely enough earth to germinate, it sprang up but then it was overwhelmed by the heat of the day and its roots couldn't sustain it. If you've ever been to Israel, you know it's a a rocky kind of soil and there's often rocks that are just deep enough that the plow doesn't turn them up. They're there underneath and they block the root from going down. Plant goes up, root can't go down. The heat comes out, plant dies. Verse seven talks about thorny soil. Soil that appeared to be good, but it was contaminated by seeds and roots of thorns and thistles that had grown there before. I think in Kansas, those are called noxious weeds, right? If you've ever had a garden, you know, it doesn't matter how green your thumb is, how good of a gardener you are, the weeds are always going to grow faster and stronger than whatever you plant. It's a constant battle just to keep them. The weeds choked out the plant or the, the, the seeds here. Seeds that fell on these first three soils, they really had very little chance of survival. But then verse 8 talks about some seed fell on good soil. Soil that was receptive, soil that was ready to accept the seed. And that single seed 
produced a crop, a harvest, some a hundredfold, some 60, and some 30. These are huge harvest numbers. These are harvest numbers that even the most successful farmer of the day would have said, that's impossible. No way that could happen. But what do we know? All things are possible through God. Now, four soils, four different results, four different receptivities. Could we spend the rest of our time talking about the soil? We could, but I don't believe that's the point of the parable. Because I believe the parable is about the sower and the seed, and the soil belongs to God. He doesn't want you to get tangled up in soil analysis 101. He just wants you to keep casting seed. In fact, the message is the spiritual sower really isn't motivated by the soil at all because only God can change the receptivity of a person's heart. Our calling is to be obedient and to keep sowing and sowing and sowing. When, uh, when we were in uh, Nicaragua in January, went on the trip to kind of test to see if we were going to be able to take teams and so forth, and we had the privilege to deliver food packs in a, a village. You might remember the video we showed. It was near the end of the earth if we weren't already there. I mean, it was out in the middle of nowhere. Poor, poor people. Really had nothing. And we got to deliver these food packs that you had provided through pastors and through feeding pastors and people. And of course, everyone that we delivered, we would try to have a spiritual conversation with them. And, and I was with Brian Richardson and uh, we, we went through maybe the first three houses and we're talking and the people seem to be engaged and we get to the, to the point and say, would you like to pray to accept Christ today? No, not today. No, not, not, I can't do that today. No, my, my husband or my, my wife's not here. I can't make that decision today. No, I'm not ready right now, but I'll sure think about what you said. We got to maybe the fourth or fifth house and there was a, just a rugged-looking dude. He was thrashing corn. I'm not talking about with a machine. They were thrashing corn by hand. He had a horse, and I kind of messed around with the horse, and we talked about the horse for a little bit through an interpreter, and ultimately we began talking about spiritual things. And I mean, his face, he was just stone-faced. I couldn't get any feel for whether he was hearing me or not. Visited for a while, and, and I finally thought this is going nowhere. Uh, but I, I came to a point and said, "Sir, would you would you like to pray to accept Christ today?" Yes, I would. He did. About that time, his wife came up. His wife had been gone. She she walked up. He called her over and said, "Hey, you need to do you need to listen to this and do this too." Listen, I thought that guy was not just the hard soil. I thought he was the hard soil with rock underneath and thorns on top. And maybe a cherry in there somewhere. I don't know. But he was the good soil. Not because of what I did, but because God was working on him. You see, you can look and look and look and look. You can pray and pray and pray and pray. You still can't see really where a person's at in their heart. You can't see what God is already doing in their heart. 
You can't see who has shared with them in the past that's been germinating deep down inside. So should you pray about the soil of somebody's heart? Absolutely. But don't let that be the, the indicator of whether you're going to keep casting seeds or not. The call is to cast and cast and cast some more. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, The Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward. I sure did. But the Lord looks at the heart. When you take on the job of being a spiritual sower, your calling isn't about your success rate. It's just about your obedience. I used to teach uh, one of our evangelism classes for years and years and years. I, I'd tell people, you know, they'd be nervous. They didn't know whether they know the right thing to say. No, no, no. It's the greatest job in the world because nobody cares about the results. You just go be obedient and you get all the rewards. It's a great deal. It's about volume. It's about consistency. And that takes us to the final point. Let's talk about the practice. Acts 1.8, Jesus gave his disciples their marching orders before he would ascend into heaven. He called them, and he's calling us to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. I probably read that passage a thousand times. And I read it again this week. And I was reminded that the job that's being described here is different than any job you're ever going to have on this earth. Tim, there's no hours here. Did you notice that? It doesn't say, hey, Tim, you show up at 7, you're done at 4, and then go do whatever you want to do. Nope, not there. There's no days of the week, Jim. There's no Monday to Friday, Tuesday to Saturday. No, it's, it's just, just that. There's no vacation described here. You see, the job of the spiritual sower is meant to be a job. We're meant to be his witnesses 24 hours a day. Seven days a week, 365 days a week, a year. Now, if you're married to a believer, I'll give you the time when you're asleep. But the rest of it, you gotta be sowing. The message is that we're to constantly be sowing spiritual seeds wherever we go, whatever we do, whoever we're with. Sowing spiritual seeds is not a planned activity. It's a lifestyle, morning, noon, and night. It's doing what Jesus did, sowing through our actions, sowing through our choices, sowing through what we say, and sowing through what we choose not to say. Sowing through what we do, and sowing through what we choose not to do. It's seeing the individuals that God has placed on our pathway of life and then being willing to esteem them better than ourselves as we throw the word of God in every direction. You say, well, I can't just walk up to every person I see and share the gospel. I don't think it's asking us to do that. I think it's asking us to live the way Jesus lived, to love the way Jesus loved to listen the way Jesus listened, to serve the way Jesus served, and oh, by the way, if that door cracks, to be willing to share what Jesus has done for you and what he desires to do for them. Do we have, do we have a song today? No, we don't.
but we do have an illustration. So this is the tool of a modern-day sower, Scott's. I think we used to use it here at the church for ice melt, but I confiscated it because I liked the illustration. So what goes in here? Seed. What is the seed? God's Word. So how do we get God's Word in here? Well, it's through our quiet time. It's through our spiritual or through our scripture memorization. It's through our discipleship opportunities. It's through our prayer life. It's through dwelling on the word day in, day out. And once it's full, we go out into the world, don't we? And we have this incredibly difficult task. We take one hand and we turn the wheel. And we go about our life. Every morning I go to McDonald's for coffee and I should be turning the wheel and spreading seeds as I go. You know, sometimes they goof up my coffee. If there's somebody here that works at McDonald's here on 87th, I'm sorry, but you do and I get frustrated with you, but I have a responsibility to not be frustrated and to just keep sowing seeds. I go to my office. Well, at my office, just about everybody's saved. You go to your office and you have a responsibility of sowing seeds, of just keeping, turning the handle. And you know, the cool thing is, I can aim this thing at Claude here on the second row, but who else is gonna get seeds? All y'all. You're all gonna get seeds. And I just go about my day, but I'm going about my day by being aware of what's going on around me. I'm listening like Jesus. I'm loving like Jesus. I'm serving others like Jesus. And maybe every once in a while, some of this seed will hit good soil and somebody will say, what makes you different? And then I'm ready to tell them. You know, I, I, everybody that I take on a mission trip, I always tell them, we're called to be God's witnesses. But somebody is always watching you. Isn't that true? really true when you go on the foreign mission field because you're the novelty, right? But it's true here too. Somebody is always watching you. And the way you respond to difficult times, guess what? Sowing seeds. The way you respond when somebody talks about what's going on in the Ukraine, sowing seeds. The way you respond when you have a family member that's sick or in the hospital or whatever that might be, sowing seeds. And if you think people don't notice, oh, they notice. Because the world wants nothing more than to have a life and live that life abundantly. And you know the answer, don't you? It's through a loving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So what do we need to take home with us today? Not that, I will take this home actually, but you'll probably see that again at some point. What should we take home with us? Well, first of all, God's greatest priority is having a personal relationship with you. He's not gonna be impressed by religion. He's not gonna be impressed by religious activities. He just wants you to open the door and invite him in. Second, whatever your situation, wherever your life is today, 
the answer to every question, every problem, every situation, every circumstance, all found in the same place. It's all in here. You just got to go looking for it. You just got to be willing to read and follow directions. And it's true today, tomorrow, and for eternity. It won't make life perfect, but it will give you a perfect perspective about what life can be. Thirdly, you don't have to know anything about the soil to be an effective sower. He just needs you to sow spiritual seeds everywhere you go with everyone you meet and then trust God and pray for that person that the soil will change. And finally, let's commit together to make our priority the same as Jesus' priority that we'll look for every opportunity to share the love of Christ, to serve others, to pray with and for others, and to live according to the answers found in this book. Would you bow your heads this morning as we close? This morning I've been doing my very best to sow spiritual seeds. And I'm sure between the people in this room, the people in the K-Hall, and the people online, that some of the seeds have hit all kinds of different soils. But the great news is, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what you think about God or what you've even said about God in the past, he's still standing at that door of your heart and he's still politely knocking, waiting for you to crack the door and invite him in. Accepting Jesus is as easy as asking God to forgive you and the great news is he will. And then you just make a turn in your life and you say, instead of leading my own life, I'm going to follow somebody else. I'm going to follow Christ. If you've never given your heart to Christ today, I would invite you to pray those very things right where you're seated right now. You don't need a pastor. You don't need anything associated with religion. All you need is a relationship with Jesus. And you can establish that relationship today. If you're here and you look at your life and you know there have, there's some things that haven't changed because you haven't been willing to change, you've fallen into a religious pattern about what life should be and about how you're going to live it, and knowing whether it meets God's priorities and God's expectations has kind of got pushed to the side, what a great day to straighten those things out and to get right. And finally... If you've been visiting our church for a while, who knows what circumstance brought you here. But you just never made that commitment to say, you know what, these, these folks are trying to do the, all the right things. They're not perfect, but they're trying to follow the Word of God in every way. What on earth is holding you back from becoming part of this family? Whatever decision God has laid on your heart, we're going to have a time of invitation in just a moment. And I would invite you to step out and to come share with one of these pastors that will be at the front the decision that God has placed on your heart. Father, we love you today. We're grateful that you're a God that is all about salvation and relationship. And Father, as we enter this time of invitation, I pray that you will have your will and way with each one. Father, help us to truly live determined to be different, to, to, to be determined 
to carry the priority of Jesus' life and Jesus' ministry with us. Wherever we go, whatever we do, whoever we're with. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.